The title of today's sermon is The Implanted Word of God. It's so crucial to us. It's, um, we're focusing on James 1, 18 to 21. I'm just going to read it again. It says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The outline for today, this evening, is three points. The first point is the word of God produces new birth. Point two is the will of God in salvation. And finally, the first fruits of God. We continue our series in James. We've been going through the book of James now. And just to remind you that James is the half-brother of, of, of Jesus, who has been pastoring the Jerusalem um, Christians there, the Jewish Christians, who have now been dispersed across the nations. See, uh, Martin Luther, a pioneer in the reformation of the medieval church, he preached justification by faith, and faith alone. By the grace of God, he became the catalyst to correct centuries of error and uh, religious abuse. But he, he seemed to miss one thing. He, he described the book of James as a right story epistle compared to the other epistles such as Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, 1 John. But he said, this is his word, he said it had nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. How wrong he was. See, James' focus, main focus was the true faith in Jesus and what it looks like. Previously, we've talked about our faith. It helps us in terms of facing trials and testing times. We're able to persevere. And that God brings those testing times to approve us in those instances. See, Martin Luther did not go as far as saying that the book of James should be removed from the canon of Scripture. However, he made it known. He made it known about the book of James, and this is what he said. He said he had nothing offered regarding the gospel. He said the understanding James seemed to demonstrate a strong emphasis on salvation by works. See, a close study of James will tell you that otherwise, that whilst there may be practical Christian living ways to, to live out our faith, the central message of James is the gospel, the good news. See, this Bible is the word of the living God. The whole Bible points to Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his second coming. See, God's word is good news to us. It's good news to all of us. There is nothing here that is, is lacking. It's the very good news that we need to live each and every day to live a practical life and to trust in Jesus. You switch on the TV nowadays and the news channels are just full up of so many different types of bad news. Chaos is happening. Politics, politics in America, politics here, Brexit. We've got the fires that were occurring in, in, in Australia. Um, we've had so many things happening. Locusts recently in, uh, in Kenya, in, in the east regions of, of Africa. 
up to, they, they, they account for estimated about 190 billion insects. Locusts just wreaking havoc. We've got the coronavirus, as we well know. It's causing a lot of scare and um, people. We all want masks now, don't we? And uh, actually, it's all been sold out. We've got news, bad news, always consi consistently around us. Sometimes we get home and uh, you're about to maybe just sit down and to chill and, and just relax. And you get that news, oh, darling, um, actually, we, we've run out of milk. Uh, can you pop to the local store and grab a milk for me? It's just, that is bad news, seriously. It's bad news. <laughs> news. Bad news is around us, all around, all the time. But we all seek and we all want good news. There's nothing like hearing that, you know, oh, you've heard a birth of a newborn baby or uh, someone that's unwell is, is now doing better. We, we seek those times of, you know, when we've had a job interview and we were successful or we've got that job. The good news of exam results, you know, we see, we long for that, to hear that oh, I've done it. All that hard work was worth it. God has helped. See, in Luther's view, the, the book of James does violence to scripture. That's what he said. He said it does violence to scripture, thereby contradicting what Paul had been saying all along in the scriptures. And he said, therefore, I will not have him in my Bible to be numbered among the true chief books. Wow. See, on the contrary, James, however, straight to the point he is in his writing, he has 60 commands in just 108 verses. So he's very succinct, he's very straight to the point. See, James, he may be succinct in many ways, but the common denominator in his letter to, to the Jewish Christians has always been that true believers in Jesus trust Jesus as Lord and Saviour. See, however, the evidence of that faith is practical Christian living, the way we live out our lives. And it's got to be Christ-centred. It's got to have a Christ-centred purpose to it. See, James expounds on the true nature of faith and its working in the life of a Christian. So let's see what James has to say about the implanted word. Verse 18 says he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. See, God's word, is, as revealed in the scripture, has the power to bring the vilest of offenders, the vilest of sinners, to repentance and faith in Jesus. I've seen many hard knock, the hardest of criminals. They've gone into prison, they've gone to Belmarsh, the light of the gospel was reached into their hearts, made them to melt, made them to weep at the sins that they've committed, made them to repent, to make a U-turn. And they've spent those sentences living for Christ, going to Bible studies in the prison, sharing their faith in the prison. And then they come out and they, they seek to, to live that life again, to take their new roles in society, to take up their responsibilities and many, a couple I've seen go back to begin to preach the gospel again and say, I was here a year ago, I was here a couple of years ago, I was here a few years ago. I'm here to bring the good news. This good news, although I was in prison, I was in chains, it set me free from my sins. The chains of sin are greater than the chains that you are seeing here in prison. Is this not the story of every Christian? We are bound by... Sin, we're bound 
we were bound by our, our trespasses, our, our unforgiveness, sins that easily and easily ensnared us and, and pulled us down, and we didn't know how to get out of it, except for the saving grace and mercy of Jesus. See, the gospel removes the scales that blind us, revealing our filthiness and sin-stained existence. But the Lord helped us to make a U-turn, gave us faith to make a decision to turn from our ways and receive by faith and believe in Jesus that he died, he did die for our sins. And after which we begin to embrace and walk in the light of Jesus, helped by the Holy Spirit. See, consequently, our desires should be about sharing about this faith, should be about reaching out to the lost. When we know how much we've been saved, when we know where God has brought us from, when we know where we could have ended up, it can only make us grateful and only drive us to share about our faith. See, Paul states in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, we're familiar with this passage of Scripture, but how familiar are we with James chapter 1, verse 18? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James also speaks of this spiritual salvation, which originates from the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Just the same way as Paul did. So believers in Jesus are brought forth by the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, which talks of the work of Jesus. It's the complete work of Jesus in atoning for our sins. He paid the price. He satisfied the wrath of God. He satisfied the, the, the demands of God. He paid the ultimate price by shedding his blood that we may be forgiven of our past, our present and our future sins. We're justified just as we did not sin. Cleansed from those filthiness and righteousness, those things that, that, that blotted our, our garments. Our sins are no longer counted against us. See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. What good news that is to us. That we can become right, the righteousness of God. Not of our own self. Not, nothing that we can do. Nothing got us to be saved. But, uh, not by our works. It's what James has been saying. This is what the Bible is saying. It's nothing that we could ever do. See, Jesus, fully God and fully man, taken off our garment. Our garment that stained the messy and exchanged it for a garment of righteousness placed it on us, robed us in, in, in clothes in Egyptian cotton, so to speak, that we, we could never purchase ourselves, we could never afford. See, a new life commencing in living, in a living hope to walk in his righteousness, in his righteousness and be freed from all condemnation. See, however, we shouldn't continue to willfully sin, should we? We can't abuse the grace of God that we have been given. So God, by his will, his will has made us to be alive again, to be alive, 
We've in switched on. We've been able to come to God's presence boldly. We've, we have a new life now. We're not far away. We're able to come into his presence. See, one of the challenges for an ex-offender when they leave the prison is the world still remains the same. They've still got their old, old friends, family members that they've had disputes with, friends that have led them astray. Those things don't change. Plus, there's a public stigma. There's financial and accommodation issues. There's, there's things, benefits that, that take a few months to, to, um, to arrive. Job prospects are significantly reduced. We know that. See, although they may be a new person, they may have been chained when they were in prison, but those challenges still remain on the outside. There's familiar problems that they face amongst new increasing problems. As Christians, we, we are not unaware of trials and temptations that we face when we are converted, when we truly come to faith in Jesus. When we are freed of those sins, when we know that we're standing now because of his grace and of his righteousness, the world still remains the same. It's still, there's still, very, it's still much a challenging world. We're still facing the temptations, but also the testing that come from God, testing that come from God, temptations that come from the enemy, from the devil. That's what James has been saying all along as we, we've been going through this. See, the word of God has tremendous power to bring forth a new life. New life and new creation. See, the key vehicle to which salvation is possible is the word of truth. The Bible strongly teaches that true converts cannot be made without hearing God's word. It's such a key principle. Does nature testify of God's word? Does it testify that, that there is a God? Yes, it does. But God's divine attributes and power are clearly displayed. They are. We see the mountains. We see the locusts that we're hearing on the news. God's created these things. But we cannot put it past God to save people just by them looking at the environment, looking at the earth and saying, wow, there must be a God. But God's word is the principle. The primary way that individuals come to God, that come to faith, is through his word. It's got to be preached. We need to preach it from the pulpit. We must preach it personally. We must preach it to our friends. We must tell others about Jesus in our workplaces, wherever God has placed us. We must be bold to share about Jesus. See, sometimes we, we can sometimes think that there's, the Holy Spirit is not involved here. Um, and that, that but the Spirit of God, is, the work of the Spirit is not out of, it's, it's not apart from what the Word of God does. It's, it's in tandem. The Spirit of God really brings to life what the Scripture says. And we know that. We know that when we evangelize, when we speak of God's Word, it's not... Our wisdom is not the articulation, it's not what we say, but it's, it, it's it, well, the word of God's got to be spoken, but we know the Spirit of God works with that to, to change hearts. See, there's got to be a balance between God's word and trusting in the work of the Spirit to bring new life to individuals. See, the word of God must be implanted in their hearts to conceive faith, leading to a change of lifestyle and ways against the sinful tide of the society that we live in.
See, the, Romans 10 verse 14 to 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. It's not just left to our pastor to preach the gospel. We must share the gospel. We must preach the gospel ourselves. See, the preaching of Jesus' death on the cross is central to the salvation of any individual. Will God save? Is his will to save people? Yes, it is. God's will is sovereign. But nevertheless, as we've been learning in, in the Bible studies, Noah preached for 120 years. And even though it was just him and his family and animals that were saved, not just, but if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, he still preached for 120 years. We must share the gospel. We, God's will will be done. He's sovereign. He will save his people. But we must do our part. We must go out. We must share what we've received. See, the word of God must be preached. How will they believe in Jesus if, of whom if, we're not, if, if they've never heard of him? See, sometimes we, we tell Jesus that people know Jesus in a, gener, in a general way. Most people know the name, name Jesus. But do they know him? Do they know him personally? Do, have they accepted him as Lord and Savior? They can't know him if they do not, if, they can't know him if we don't preach Christ. If we don't preach him crucified, if we don't preach him resurrected and taken away our sins. Our sins took him to the cross. He paid ultimate sacrifice to nail our sins to the cross. See, God uses us to bring the gospel to others. The Spirit does the work. We're instruments. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the illumination and draws it. But what is this bringing forth that we see in this verse 18? We've seen it somewhere before. We've seen it before in verse 15. For James chapter 1, 15 says, Then desire, when it is it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's not the type that we want. It's not what we want. We don't want this for our family members. We don't want this for our friends. This is a type of bringing forth that as sin has been conceived and over a period of time there's not been any repentance, there's not been any U-turn, and it's brought forth death. So we've seen this, how desires, and how desires are important, and then when they're not put into check, they have the potential to lead to temptations which the enemy, the, the Satan, brings. can lure one away to entice someone to sin. See, when sin is conceived, if not repented of, if there's no godly sorrow, if there's no U-turn made, if there's no change from old ways, then ultimately the consequences bring forth death. See, James' primary concern from the outset is to firmly fix these Jewish Christians' minds on what is from God and what is from the devil. The purposes of God and the purposes of Satan. Every trial and testing from God has its origin in its goodness. That's what James said in the previous verses. See, God's purposes are to test our faith of proving us onto good works. We're not saved by our good works. But the faith that we have that he's given to us leads us to good works. So James is reminding these Christians of their heritage in Jesus that their faith is not of their own. Neither was it by chance or by the works which they performed. 
See, God in his sovereign will implants the word of truth and brings forth, brings forth into a new life. See, John 1 verse 12 to 13 says, it said, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This leads us to our second point, that God's will brings forth new creations in Jesus Christ. See, we're born again by God's power in his word. See, born again is to start all over, cleansed of all unrighteousness, freed from the power and the hold of sin, a renewed relationship with our creator and God, for, bound for eternity and to be in his presence eternally. What a privilege this is. The living God, our God, creator of the world, of the universe, seeks to make individuals like us to be born again, to be part of his family. See, if you're in Christ, you've been called out of your past ways, your lifestyle, your thinking, your understanding that only leads to eternal damnation. But now, regenerated to a new life that is not deserved, or in fact, we did not desire it. Any, there was nothing in us could desire such a thing. But for the mercies of God that shun the light to disperse darkness in our lives, remove the scales of blindness, the chains of sin broken asunder, hearts restored to beat with zeal for Jesus, to beat for zeal for Jesus, to live for Christ, a contrite spirit, a humble, humbleness, a meekness, meekness and submission to God's perfect will. See, God by his sovereignty is willed to have some saved, to leave some, to pursue their pleasures, happiness in their sins. And that only leads to destruction. It's truly the work of grace that brings believers to faith in Christ. See, if you decided just to save one person, he'd still be a just God. If you decide to save no one at all, God still remains just. We are sinners saved by grace. By his will, he brought us forth. It's the will of God. Lest we forget in verse 17, every good gift, every good gift and every perfect, perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, in this context, we see clearly that the gift of God for us, including salvation, is good, it's perfect, it's derived from God who is unchangeable, it's immutable, it does not change. See, R.C. Sproul says, he writes in the book, Knowing God, he says, God's purposes do not change. He says, his plans are made on the basis of a complete knowledge, a complete knowledge and control which extend to all things past, present and future. He goes on to write and says, what he does in time, he planned from eternity. And all that he planned in eternity carries on in time. It carries out in time. See, God's plan for our salvation was already in place from time past. We know this. Well, what God is working out in time, the salvation of his elect was determined by God's perfect will. And not a knee-jerk reaction. Not a knee-jerk reaction to our works or anything that we could ever do. Not that... You know, God is looking down on us. Oh, look, he's a faithful, a faithful lady of God. He's a faithful man of God. And I'm going to bring salvation to him. He, by his will, 
He regenerated us. He brought us forth. See, God's plan doesn't change. doesn't change right from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It remains the same. God does not change. There is no variation to God. There is no shadow to, due to change. See, salvation was always and always only by faith alone in Christ alone. See, the old te- saints in the Old Testament and the saints in the New Testament were given faith to believe and trust in God. See, James does not want these Jewish Christians to miss the conception and the birth of their salvation. He wanted them to understand this. It has always been the gospel of Jesus, the word of God incarnate, that brings forth one to salvation. See, the, the end of James verse 21 says, it says, that the implanted word which is able to save your soul. See, James is, not say, James is saying, do not be deceived. Every good work a believer accomplishes or performs is only as a result of God's good and perfect will. He gives good gifts and perfect gifts. Such gifts include saving faith to bring us forth as a new creation by his mercies and grace to produce good works. See, even our anger, as it says there, in, it says that the, the righteousness, the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Even our anger, even the righteous indignation. You know, we see things around us, things that are going wrong. Things going wrong in the world and the, the bad news we're talking about and, and the things that are happening in our communities that are so contrary to God's word. Even that can't bring us to, to salvation. It can't. It, because we feel that way does not mean that we're righteous. It doesn't make us righteous at all. Because even our anger angers God. See, believers are a kind of, of, of first fruits. This is our third point today. See, as the called out ones, the church that God is gathering from all nations, all peoples, creed, race, were birthed forth as a kind of first fruits. Apache, the Greek word for first fruits, is mentioned eight times in the New Testament, here in James and seven other times in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in Revelations. And the first fruits we were given in the Old Testament to honour God. It was a thanksgiving. It says, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. Thank you. However much this increase I have gained is because of you. So therefore, I give you this first fruits. This word is also mentioned in a different way. It describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because of his resurrection. Jesus is the first, he's the firstborn of many brothers that are coming to faith. Many brothers like ourselves. Many brothers that Paul, um, James was talking about to, with these um, Jewish Christians. And in Romans 8.23, it states, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit itself. I mean, the, the, God's working out for those that really belong to him. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness. God's working these things out in us. So James is now saying to these Christians that, and indeed all Christians, indeed he's talking to us that, that we are regenerated by the gospel and we become a kind of first fruits of God's creature. 
It's a regeneration, a, a new work God is doing. See, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were not created and as such are not described as a kind. That's very important to know. They weren't just described as a kind of creature. Jesus is the first fruit of all those that sleep in Christ. But we are, those that come to faith, are a kind of first fruits. So why did James use this metaphor? See, in the Old Testament, first fruits were an offering of the harvest to, to God to, in response for God's provisions. God's provided this, so we're giving it back to God. And God, who has displayed this creative power and ownership of all things, instructed his people to give him the best of their produce and harvest. And this included crops, the wheat harvest, olive oil, the finest wine, honey, sheep, wool, fruits. See, God did not require these things for consumption, as we know. God, does not, God, God doesn't eat. However, the significance was in demonstrating and acknowledging that God owns all things. That God, at everything that we have and everything that they have and they've gained was because of God. God's power and his, his supply, his providence and his blessings. See, these Jewish Christians would, would have been familiar with this. They would have read their Old Testament. They would have known it quite well. That This word is quite a significant thing. And they would have understood the significance of the first fruit feast, which was held early spring at the beginning of the grain harvest. And this is, this is, and in Leviticus, we see where the first fruit offering was actually initiated. See, we're no longer required to bring our first fruits per se, in terms of, okay, um, right, we're going to bring money to the pastor or something like that. Um, we're not required to do those things as, as they once were um, in the Old Testament. Because now we are, Christ himself has fulfilled that demand. Christ himself being the first fruit has fulfilled that demand. See, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection assures believers of res- that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that we will also be part, be brothers that will rise again. Whether if, if Jesus tarries and we're here, we'll be caught up with him. If, if we're asleep in Jesus, we will rise again. That is the promise that we have. See, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the fulfillment that we've been born again to a living hope. What can separate us from the love of God? That's the living hope that we have. When we, when we stand in Christ, and Christ holds us fast. Nothing can separate us from that hope that we will see him face to face. So believers, we are spiritual first fruits of God. And if indeed we're born again, then we are like first fruits of a new creation of God that began through Jesus, the firstborn. And we are part of these first fruits that speak forth of a great harvest, the harvest of souls, souls that we will see one day in the presence of God, sing holy, 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 holy before our maker. We are also made holy and holy to God because of his righteousness, because he has clothed us, clothed us, he has set us apart. 
See, Jesus' complete work has, has done the work that we could never do. We're alive again. We're being sanctified. We're made holy. How should we respond as believers? We, we probably know all this. But what are the ways that we can live out our faith and to trust God's word, to really depend on it? A few points. But we know, we know Romans 12, chapter one to, um, verse 1 to 2. To, what does it say? Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's living and dying to ourselves on a daily basis. We need to live in such a way that those things that bring us pleasure, that we can submit them before our maker and say, no, I'm going to choose God's word. I'm going to choose to read God's word. I'm going to choose to study, to study God's word. I'm going to choose to share the gospel. Even when it's really difficult, when it, it may cost us our jobs, it may be difficult on the streets, it may be difficult in our workplaces, but these are sacrifices that we must make for our living God who has, who has made the sacrifice for us, who has redeemed us and paid the ultimate sacrifice. Secondly, we must be thankful to God. See, part of being a first fruit, we talked about the reason why they brought the first fruit was because they were thankful for what God has done. Likewise, we must be grateful for what God has done for us. Being, being brought forth by the word of truth and then being made a, a kind of first fruit makes us rejoice, makes us grateful that we are part of God's family, that he has chosen us, that he cares enough about us to save us. See, beloved brothers, we, the Bible says here in James, it talks about being quick to listen to God's word. It's, it's a practice that we must do regularly. It's, um, we need to study God's word. There is no other way that we can live the Christian life without knowing God's word. God's word must take a hold of our hearts. It must be written there. It must do something in us that, that makes us like shun what's happening in this world. Yes, we have righteous indignation, but are we walking right ourselves? Is the word changing us? Is it changing us during the week? Is it changing us where we're being placed? Is it changing us in how we deal with our family members? How we deal with our brothers and sisters? How we deal with unforgiveness, those people that are wrong us? We must be quick to hear, quick to listen to God's word. Next point is we must be slow to speak. That's what James says there. He says be quick to hear, slow to speak. You see, this slow to speak, there's a, there's a sense that we can, we can sometimes face the, the challenges of life. We must think of this in the context of, of what James is saying. The challenges of life that do come, the detesting times. If we don't go to God's word, sometimes we can be very quick to reply and say certain things. We can say certain things against, against God himself. We can say certain things against our family members. But if we are truly immersed in God's word, we can take stock. We can let it do a work in our hearts before we speak, before we speak in anger, before we speak in words that, 
that actually are not comforting and encouraging and do it, that, that would allow God to work in, in someone's heart. See, that slow to anger, it's, it does not produce righteousness. The anger here is that righteous, ang- that in, it, righteous indignation. It, it, it's, it's from a rightful place, but even that itself doesn't bring forth God's righteousness. It doesn't, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. See, James also talks about putting away, the putting off of our garment. Notice what he says there. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. These are things that stained us in our previous walk, in our, in, in our old ways. We need to, we mustn't turn to those anymore. We must face the way that we're facing, face Christ squarely. Look to him for strength. We must receive God's word on a daily basis. There is no two ways around this. God's word is sufficient for us. And James says there in verse 21, is able to save our souls. If we don't know the, the how, how deep God's word is and what it's able to do, then we do sometimes lack and oh, don't need to read it today. We fall into that situation, don't we, where it's just something else takes our mind away or work, we've got to rush off. But every day we need God's word. This, this, the context here, it says that, it's not, it, it, it's not saying that which saved your soul, but it's saying which is able to save your soul. This is talking about continuous sanctification, a continuous washing of, with God's word. We need this on a daily basis. And finally, we must receive God's word in meekness. See, God's word must marinate in our hearts. We can hear it, but it's got to do the work in us. It's got to break us. We've got to, we've got to receive it with meekness, with a contrite heart, with a humble heart. Say, okay, this is God's word. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to walk in God's way. I'm going to listen to this. Because James talks later on about doing God's word, being not just a hearer of God's word, but being a doer. And we can't do God's word if we don't receive it with meekness and humbleness. For the unbeliever, it's the same. The receiving the implanted word, it's, this is the word that saves. This is the word is able to save, it's able to bring one to salvation. For unbeliever, if, we, if the one does not receive God's word, work with, um, the word with meekness, it's just, we're almost showing arrogance. An arrogance, a person showing an arrogance of, I can save myself. I can do this on my own. Our righteousness is enough. And as we've heard and we, we know from, from the Bible that nothing Nothing, even our anger, our righteous anger, is not, does not produce the righteousness of God. See, God's, words, God's word offers forgiveness of sin to repentant hearts. To those that listen to God's word, those that believe in God's word, those who come to understand that Jesus is truly the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is, there is no other way. There is no righteousness. There is no good works that we can do ourselves. Good works only comes from faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one that shows us. The Holy Spirit helps us to work out those things. If not, it's, we know that the end of an unbeliever is hell. The righteousness, however, it looks to the people of the world that they're, they're good. The goodness of the world does not lead to salvation. But only in Christ alone.